I'm always learning something new about plumbing or electricity or and and horticulture in general. And I find those skills to be not only applicable to pretty much every aspect of life outside of the grove, but very, you know, confidence building and fulfilling. I think there's something like primal um, about, you know, using your hands and your mind to make something that wasn't there, there. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? My name is Boyd Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. If you'd like to support episodes like this being made, please check out the show's Patreon page at patreon.com slash halfhourintern. In today's episode, we have part two of a two-part series on managing a weed grow operation. Um, This is with a good friend of mine who, for the purposes of these episodes, is going by the name of Alex. In part two here, we will discuss the... uh, the money side of everything finally so we will discuss once you sell it how much you can be making how much uh, a pound is worth when you're selling on a wholesale type of market how much they are then making at a dispensary when they're selling it on to customers we will discuss how much money alex is making how, how much money there is for people to get into the weed game right now um, which as of now in california is legalized so there is a kind of a minimal amount of risk compared to what there used to be but we will also discuss it on this episode about like kind of is there still risk attached with this do you operate in secret a little bit um and what about police and things like that so um all of that will be covered in this episode without further ado here is part two of marijuana grow manager do you have any people that ever come in that uh that don't smoke weed at all that they just trim but they don't smoke yeah yeah uh, I mean, a lot of most growers, I don't want to say most growers, but a lot of the growers I know don't smoke and a lot, some trimmers don't smoke either. All right, Alex. So I would love to know more about what happens after this weed has been grown and you need to move on to selling it. Uh, what, like as the grower, what are the different groups that you sell to? Like who, who is your next person that you sell to? Does it vary? And then how much money can you get? And does that change whether you're selling it? in-state versus out-of-state are you even allowed to technically sell it out of state like yeah where does it all go right okay um good question lots to unpack there so um you know there's still a lot of gray area um a lot of the regulations have not been put into place yet now that it's legal in california but i mean basically you we're a wholesale operation so um the average price for uh, a pound of cannabis you know within you know, plus or minus $200 is about $2,000. And, um, you know, sometimes there's bulk discounts if the buyer is buying, you know, more than five or 10 or whatever. Um, And depending on the strain and the quality and the time of year, like I said, it's about $2,000. Sometimes when the outdoor harvests happen toward the end of the year, it floods the market. And so there isn't as much of a demand and prices go down. Um, and then once the new year comes around, and funny enough, right around 420, uh, the prices go back up because everyone's trying to, to stock up for the holiday. Right, right. Um, <laughs> and so then there's, that's, that's the wholesale part of the game. Um, in terms of out-of-state, you know, that's depending on the state. 
um, it can get you into some pretty dicey situations. But let's say one were to ship out of state to a place where they don't have a you know any sort of cannabis industry, um, the price of a pound may be closer to like three thousand. But if you but so it's still you'd have to be selling pounds at a time, so you'd still have to know like a big time drug dealer in I that mean, area. It's just not worth the risk and the time it takes to ship out an ounce, right? Unless it's like a friend of yours or something, you know, you wanna uh, that you wanna like get some some dank ass product to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. And so uh, now, remembering the days of my youth, if I recall, an it, like a decent eighth at a dispensary in California would be what, like forty five bucks for like an eighth of an ounce. Yeah. Now, I mean, a lot of places cap at thirty five. Oh my average. god, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the the market here is incredible. I mean, you get. This, there is no better place in the world for marijuana than California, and specifically probably Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Amsterdam doesn't come close. Uh, Northern California doesn't come close, in my opinion. Uh, there's just so much going on here that it produces the highest quality stuff. All right, it's, so I just pulled out my calculator really quick. So let's go in between those two numbers. So $40 for an eighth times eight eighths in one ounce times 16 ounces and one pound. So it's $5,120. Retail, yeah. Right, retail. So you guys are never really able to sell it at like that. You guys are always selling in bulk. So you're selling it for about two grand, and then the dispensary is making the other three? Essentially, yeah. I mean, some dispensaries... Remember how I mentioned about being a, a collective and having the paperwork signed over by patients so that you can grow for them, right? So some dispensaries... Uh, or some collectives actually do their own growing. So uh, this is going to be my next question. I would imagine that has to be like so far and away the most profitable thing. And how do all growers not also have their own dispensary? There's a lot of regulation involved. Uh, It's hard to be a dispensary. Um, You know, you can only be so close to a school, so close to a church, so close to a liquor store. Um, the real estate, the rent, the employees. I mean, it's, it's more and more expense. So I don't know exactly uh, how much that, that profit translates to true money in your pocket. But it is, I mean, I, I, a few of my other growers, they've tried to do that before. I mean, the money really is in retail, for sure, without a doubt. But it's not as easy as it sounds just to oh, pop up a shop. Yeah, it's so interesting. Uh-huh. It just makes me think. So, I just did an interview the other day that hasn't been released yet with a... Um, a microbrewery owner, and he was talking about how when he first, when they were about to open the brewery, he assumed that it was going to be about uh, 75% of their beer they distributed out to different bars and restaurants in the area, and about 25% they kept for their own tap room. And he's like, it ended up being that about 80% of our beer we pour in our tap room and 20% goes out. And he's like, and thank God that's the way it ended up being because, you know, the they make about like five times as much money on beer that's being poured in their own tap room as they do when they sent, sell it out, you know, like like sell it to uh, different bars and restaurants and stuff. It's kind of the same thing with the grower, like having a dispensary, you know, it's like, OK, well, I could sell it to these people for two thousand dollars or I could just go ahead and sell it all myself, you know. Right. And uh, but I guess that you're it's not a five times, you know benefit that you're yeah. making with weed you're just making what like two and a half times as much money right you, you i mean yes yes it's just uh it's just there's a lot of uh legal work involved and, and 
quite frankly, competition. A lot of people want to get these things. Some people make a, a mint out of just selling their dispensary license. Uh, there's also something called Prop D, uh, uh, Proposition D that was passed here a number of years back. And there's also different types of collectives, like a pre-ICO collective license is the one you want to get. Um, it's a interim control ordinance that was passed a number of years ago. And they're not subject to some of the more stricter regula more strict regulations uh, as new dispensaries are. And so when you get one of those, you can operate uh, a little more freely and, and make more money, um, but they don't, they're not around anymore. There's only a limited number of pre-ICO collectives. Wow. Um, yeah, so there, it's, that's the name of the game if, if like, you're really, really trying to expand and make a lot of money. But you know, it takes money to make money. Yeah. Uh, but and so, just in terms of simplicity, just growing um, is is kind of the easiest way to go. And then just you're gonna listen. You're gonna make money. <laughs> you're gonna make money anyways. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> um, but if you do own a dispensary, you know, it's you can make even more. But there's a lot involved in that too because you a customer. We have more discerning customers now. I want if I'm a customer, I want a place that has. 20 different strains, edibles, cartridges, accessories. With a uh, really dope ambiance. Super hot bud tenders, <laughs> you know, uh, knowledgeable bud tender. I mean, there's um, there's just a lot more involved in opening and maintaining and, and uh, stocking and staffing the dispensary than there is with growing and selling wholesale. Yeah, for sure. So let's try to combine this with the whole growing piece now and and see where you how you said there's money to be made no matter what. So what was the main metric that you said earlier that you guys kind of go off of in terms of how well your grow is doing? Pounds per light. Pounds per light. Okay. So Alex, I would have to imagine that somebody is is trying to calculate how much money total you have to put into one pound of weed. Um and then you know you know that you sell it for two thousand dollars. Does anyone know how much you know water, electricity, um, maybe even if you're taking a, a light cut cut of the rent, you know, like like any sort of variable cost, maybe even some fixed costs put into it and stuff. Uh, what we're looking at in terms of this is how much it costs us total to grow one pound of wheat. Right. Well, it you know it it depends on uh, a few things. Um, the location. The rent, obviously, right? And in LA, as in many other uh, kind of municipalities, there's a tiered water system and a tiered power system. So as you go up in use, the rate increases. Um, but yeah, we keep track of that metric. I'm not involved too much in how much it costs to produce a pound. Um, but I've got to imagine it's sub thousand. Okay. So yeah, you're making at least a thousand dollars per pound that you are growing most likely. Yeah. I, gosh, I'm not, I'm not too involved in the, in the kind of accounting and, um, paying of the bills. Yeah, no, that's right. I appreciate you taking a stab at it because so often when I ask people questions that they don't know, they just like end it with, I don't know. And it's like, well, but people just want to like yeah. what you said is perfect. People want to know things that generic, like, is it more than a thousand or less than a thousand? It's like, yeah, it's, yeah, probably around there. You know, it's like, it's yeah. not, it's not $100 per plant that we're making or anything. Right, right. It's, 
I would say it's probably somewhere between 400 and 750. Okay. Interesting. It just and it depends on the time of year because if it's summer, it's like right now, you know, it's it's hotter than hell out here, and so the AC is just constantly struggling to keep the room at an appropriate temperature. Yeah, and that's just jacking up the power bill. And then you have to, when the temperature goes up, you have to adjust the carbon dioxide so that the plant, you know, essentially when you're growing and the temperature goes up, you're speeding up the metabolism of the plant. The plant can survive up to. 85. I mean, you can survive high temperatures, but then you have to then compensate with carbon dioxide and give it more so right. that it can, it can breathe satisfactorily. So there's costs that are, those variable costs that are involved, um, they're just a little bit hard to, to calculate off the top of my head. Of course, but, yeah. So now to close this whole money circle, more or less, um, if you could revisit how, uh, how many pounds you guys get from one cycle, as it were. Hmm. So, let's see, the last one, it's uh, 16 lights, and we got 34 pounds out of it. So, I got over two pounds of light last time. So, And it took you how long to grow that, I'm sorry? Uh, we run nine weeks. Okay, nine so, weeks. so you know, in nine weeks, that's, the, that's after you flip it into the flowering stage, right? So a plant has to. So we'll say three months, stage. right? So total, that's, we'll say three months for, right, for all the time. All, you got, there's also like, what's the right? I mean, there's you're always doing something. You're always setting up the next cycle so that by the time you pull a room, you can clean it out and put the next one right in. So just. For the sake of simplicity, it really we'll is say, nine weeks then, basically. Yeah, right. but but yeah. So for the sake of math and simplicity, let's say three months, just to be generous. So in three months, you made thirty-six pounds, and each one of those thirty-six pounds, you made what would that be? Like a, I don't know, a twelve hundred dollar profit on or something like that. Sure, that's pretty sweet, man. That's <laughs> that's like a pretty good <laughs> business model. <laughs> Right, but that's split between, you know, partners. Of course, of course, of course. Right. Yeah. But it is a great business model. Yeah. Um, and, of course, Uncle Sam, we pay all of our due taxes. Yeah, so has that changed? Like, before before people were just operating in the shadows and they did not really pay taxes or anything, and now everyone's like, oh, hey, I actually have this thing going. Let me pay you some taxes. That's gray area still. There's still, there's still no, um, you know, real incentive to do that or any real way to do it um because it's not legal federally i mean what do you put down on your on your tax returns you know you have to figure out ways to kind of you know do your civic duty and pay your taxes and 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 not get in trouble yeah um state-wise it's a lot easier um but still i think once 26 i'm sorry once 2018 comes around there will be kind of systems in place for you to properly categorize and and um, submit your taxes. Okay. But right now, it's still kind of uh, vague. The government, man, you know, it's like just, they're just blowing it. I there's just so many, yeah. so many things, you so know, much money left on the table. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, politics aside, I mean, like we're spending money buying jets and bombers that don't work and that we're never going to use <laughs> like there's a little incentive for me to want to turn over that money yeah totally totally well and they could easily yeah anyways uh so 
moving on. Uh, I it, speaking of the way that things like are maybe headed towards versus the way that they used to be. Um, compared to a few years ago, are you guys able to be more? sort of open about your operation than you used to be or do you still kind of have to operate in secret more or less yeah we're you know a little more open people are you're able to talk about a little bit more uh you know quote-unquote squares square or legit business people are more interested in it Um, like would would you tell a a neighboring business like hey yeah this is what we're doing or would you not say that to a neighboring business depends it's just kind of you got to feel them out yeah Kind of just got, and it also depends, like, are you sharing water with them? Are you sharing power with them? Um, are, you, are you on the same breaker? Because sometimes you can draw too much power, something fucks up, and, you know, the building goes down or whatever it is. So, yeah. um, and that's something you feel out when you're looking for a spot, is you see who's around and what type of person they are, and are they going to be cool with it? Because, you know, I know I've got some growers and, and, and people in the industry who are, super secretive and almost to a fault because the more secretive you are, it almost draws more red flags. And so, um, I'm the type of guy that likes to be, you know, friendly and and somewhat open with what we're doing, but at at the same time, not giving people a reason to, um, suspect anything or, uh, think that we're doing anything wrong because we're not doing anything wrong. It's just, you know, it's just got a little bit of a stigma. Again, we're in this sort of gray area right now. Uh, what would happen if you, let's say, were making a big del- you yourself were making a delivery to a dispensary? So, like somehow, this weed needs to get to the people that you're selling it to. Um, let's say you're driving and you've got like ten pounds of weed in your trunk, and a cop pulls you over. What happens then? It's like you technically are allowed to grow this. But is this just going to be like a total uh, like cluster F when the cop pulls you over and you're trying to explain to them like, hey, I have a license. You're like, well, can I see the license thing? And it's like, nah, like it's not quite like that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like what happens right. in that situation? Right. Um, well, number one, uh, be cool. And two. Um, Great rule for life. Number yeah. one, be cool. That should be just the number one on every list. <laughs> number two, uh, you know. No, you cannot search my vehicle if they ask. Because they may pull you over just for a fucking taillight or whatever, right? Uh, if they ask to search your trunk, no, it's locked. Um, ask if you're being detained. Um, and then... But you're allowed some, to do what you're doing, so why would you be doing all of this? Well, because that's your right, no matter what. I mean, even if I had nothing in the trunk, I would say no. They have to have... A, they have to have a reasonable reasonable cause to search you for yeah. whatever, yeah. right? So that's not suspicious to say no, right? It's your fourth, yeah, it's your fourth amendment, right? Unreasonable search and seizure. So no matter what, that's my recommendation. Even if you're not carrying, if anything is, am I being detained? And no, you can't search because then they have to go through a whole process to get reasonable cause to search your car. Um, it, can, just, can, isn't like their nose a reasonable cause? Like, couldn't they just be like, "Yeah, dude, it smells like weed around your car." If it smells like weed around your car, you got loose game. <laughs> and then, then, they, then they will, then they will search your car. Um, now there are licenses that you can get to transport. I don't know the number of how many. I think it's something up to 
12 pounds you can get. I, I know a guy who works for a delivery service, and he's got one of those licenses. Um, I personally don't, but um, that's just because I'm a badass, dude. Uh, I live dangerously. I'm a rebel. But, um, yeah, you, you can get these licenses, um, state licenses, and you can, you can drive around with X number of units at a time to get people their medicine or their product, and um, there seems to be no issues with it. But, you know, you're always going to run into, just like in any, any job, asshole cops. So um, that, you know, they will either confiscate or they'll arrest you and try and scare you and stuff. But usually... Nothing usually happens. Um, sometimes there's asset forfeiture where they may take the cash that's on you, but I haven't heard too many horror stories, um, really really anything to speak of. You know, I, I do know one story where somebody, uh, a grow got raided, um, and they arrested all the trimmers. But, you know, the, they called the lawyer, and the trimmers got out, weren't charged with anything. Um, and everybody came away uh, relatively unscathed. Um, so all in all, it's, it's pretty good right now. I, I haven't heard of anybody get arrested or do any sort of, um, jail time or anything like that for a very, very, very long time. It doesn't seem like it's, it's on, you know, the California government's, um, priority list right now. Yeah, for sure. Thankfully. How, how are you getting paid, Alex? Are you, um... Like Very and do you well. <laughs> and do you get uh, do you get bonuses? Is it a salary? Um, what are the bonuses based off of? Uh, like yeah, right. what what is it like managing? So you know I'm a very minority partner in this in this particular grow. Um, so I have a weekly salary and then I have a performance bonus based on um, my pounds per light production. And. You getting more, there's no way that you could like be kicking out inferior product just to grow it bigger then? Well, then if it's inferior product, it's harder to sell and... They would just fire you and that would be that. So it's like really behooves you to keep making yeah, good stuff and, while and you're I trying have, to make more. Right, and I have pride in, in, in what I do, you know, and I've got an ego and I and I also want it to sell. And, you know, I'm involved in pretty much every aspect of it. So I'll, I'll, I clone it, I grow it, I help trim it, I sell it. So I'm making... I'm making scratch at every level of it, right? Um, so I'm, and so it benefits me to grow the best that I can. When you said you're making scratch at every level of it, do you mean like they're paying you a salary, but then if you're selling to a dispensary and you're able to sell it for two hundred bucks more, then you just get two hundred bucks more and stuff. So you yep. want you want the weed to be really good because you want the dispensaries to really want it and to be okay with paying a higher price for it. Exactly. So what, what is your total income look like? What would be the, what would like the low end be for a month? And then what would uh -huh. the high end be for a month? Okay. Uh, very lowest. If I don't hit any very good, if I hit like the bare minimum metric in terms of production, but I'm still trimming and selling it. We'll say five thousand. Okay, so you get double paid basically if you trim as well. Yeah. Okay, so low end would be five thousand a month. What would like a high end be? Uh, let's see. Last month I hit, like I said, I hit like two pounds light, and then I also sold the entire room of thirty-four 
towns, and there was basically an average of uh, $75 profit on that. On top of that, so 75 times 34 is 2550 Uh, like nine grand. Man, that's a that's a pretty sweet deal, man. That sounds like a, that sounds like a real good life. And yeah. something that you and I were discussing before the interview that just sounds really nice about like where you're at and what you're doing, the kind of benefits of this job. Because we were talking and you were just saying like this is like actually something I enjoy. It's actually something that fulfills me. And you were like explaining some of the reasons why. If you could go over that, I think it'd be interesting for people to hear. Yeah, definitely. I mean. <laughs> One is that every day is different. Every day is different. There's always something different to do, a new challenge. Some, you know, there's so much, so many moving pieces and, and so much complexity in these grows is that something's always going wrong. There's always something to do, some variable to manage. Um, and none of it is ever really catastrophic, but it's challenging enough to kind of keep you on your toes. And um, you know, especially for people and men of our generation, there's not a lot of, you know, like hands-on type of work that we're doing. And a lot of guys are, are woefully unskilled and kind of just like the traditional, like manual labor type of stuff. And it, I find that very, very fulfilling. And, and I'm always learning something new about plumbing or electricity or, and, and horticulture in general. And I find those skills to be not only applicable to pretty much every aspect of life outside of the grow, but very, you know, confidence building and fulfilling. I think there's something like primal um, about, you know, using your hands and your mind to make something that wasn't there, there, you know? Um, yeah. Could not agree with you more, man. It's like, it's actually, um, it's war. It's yeah, work you and, and I both come things. from a white collar background, and it, like when you have always done a white collar job, to get a job where at the beginning there wasn't something there, and at the end now something exists is yeah. uh, is a cool thing. Yeah, it's it's the best job I've ever had for sure. Man, that's awesome. Um, has your ability to grow plants changed and gotten better? Like, are you more into just like gardening and stuff now? Do you oh, grow yeah. stuff at your house? You gotta see, you gotta see this. But I mean, I've got so much stuff growing at my house right now. I have, I can't keep up with it. I just, I just pulled a bunch of arugula and Swiss chard and tomatoes and peppers and like they're already they just keep growing. I can't keep up with it. I have to throw stuff out. Uh, and yeah, but the, the the skills translate definitely like little ways of like tweaking the plant to increase the yield and knowing kind of just the basics of plant biology and the phases of growth, and the nutrients that they need and, um, and how to stress them properly and, and when to pull the plant. It's, it, it, it applies pretty much across the board and it's, uh, I find myself really, you know, loving it and, and doing it on my own time. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Great to hear, man. Um, all right, let's go ahead and finish this thing up because this all, I mean, it sounds great, honestly. <laughs> it sounds like a really cool thing. So if uh, if we wanted to give people some advice, uh, for one, let's give people advice if they just wanted to get a job with a grow just trimming for a while. And, and I'm sure, obviously, you would need to do that step to be able to do what you're doing it, it, you yeah. know, someday. 
Um, so that would also get people, you know, just familiar with the idea of working with a grow in general. But so if somebody wanted to um, just trim, how do you get a job like that? Because I de- like, you know, you said it's like, you know, referrals and word of mouth for you. But so like if you yourself, let's say I don't like I don't even smoke weed, you know, so like how do I how am I going to know someone that were, you know, that's going to refer me or something like if I wanted to move to Los Angeles and become a trimmer, how would that happen? And then what is exactly the path to to what you're doing? Uh, yeah. And then what exactly is the path to doing what you're doing, Alex? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I would say, you know, go to a dispensary and ask if they need trimmers. That's probably the best place to do it and start asking around people who do smoke weed and their dispensaries and see. If, I mean, it's, it's not a small community, but it is pretty interconnected. Somebody always knows somebody who always knows somebody who always knows somebody. And there's harvest happening all the time. And so um, I would say that your best bet is to go to dispensaries and ask if they need trimmers. You can also look on Craigslist and you kind of get creative with the different lingo and um, areas of Craigslist. You can you can find people looking for trimmers. Um, and then just do that. Be professional. I mean, the industry, you know, especially trimming, it's filled with a lot of, you know, assholes sometimes, people who, you know, ne'er-do-wells who can't keep other jobs. On, But it's also filled sometimes with artists, people who are have their own side hustle that they're financing through uh, through trimming because of the hours and the pay and the scheduling, it, it makes sense for them. So you just also want to find, like, once you do get into trimming, you want to gravitate toward the people who are of your same, you know, kind of caliber because it's, you know, you do get a lot of weirdos and freaks in the industry. Like I said before, like sometimes you'll get porn stars, sometimes you'll get artists, sometimes you'll get meth heads. So it's, you know, because it is still in this kind of um, uh, subculture, you are taking the risk of, of being around assholes. But, um, you know, and especially for the type of person you are, you, you've got a good, you know, kind of nose for people. So just gravitate toward the people that you would want to bring home to your parents and um, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, stand out, be inquisitive. If you have the opportunity to meet the grower or anybody who's in sort of of, uh, position of authority, just like in any job, be inquisitive and and stand out. And then if you're really interested in growing, ask to, hey, can I help you cut the plants? Do you need help watering? Can I just watch you for a day? I mean, that's what I did. I just... I trimmed for a very long time before I ever touched a, you know, a live plant. Um, and then, you know, just, um, be professional because in this industry that stands out, man. It, it really does. I think that's what, that's what got me to the position I was, is that I was just more professional than the other people I was trimming with. Yeah, for sure. That makes and a lot I, of sense. And I had a little, I had an appetite for risk, honestly. Like, there is still risk involved. I mean, as as good as I, I think I made the job sound, you know, it's not always great. Sometimes it takes people a month to pay you and you're out 10 grand or maybe longer than that. Maybe you never get it. Um, uh, it it's not all perfect. There is risk involved, and sometimes you got to deal with some shady people. Um, but for personally, my appetite for risk and, and the nature of the job, it, it works out for me. Yeah. 
Awesome. Man, this has been so interesting, Alex. Thank you so much for coming on the show and educating all of us. And uh, maybe we will see you in your grow house one day. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. (laughs) I'd be happy to have you. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. Hey everyone, it's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you considered leaving a review for the show on iTunes. I swear it'll only take like two minutes. Um, Just search for the show on iTunes, click on it, click on ratings and reviews. You can leave a quick review um, or just uh, keep listening to the show. I appreciate that as well. Or tell a friend about the show or something. And if you have any ideas for the show, if you have a particular job or hobby that you would like to hear interviewed on the show, if you yourself think that you do something interview worthy and you would like to tell the world about what this job or hobby is that you have, head on over to halfhourintern.com. There's a link right there at the top that says submit your ideas and you could submit your ideas for the show, be them uh, somebody else that you would like me to interview, a particular field that you would like to hear about, or even if it is you yourself that would like to come on the show. Thanks so much for listening, you guys.